Great start here. Can Clint Dempsey score yet? He has a head. Oh, he's trying to find him. It's broken for Fabregas. Now it's Iniesta. This is it. Again. Hello and welcome to the Football Fives podcast, which this week is remarkably topical. It's uh, a complete podcast about Wembley Stadium, uh, obviously coming on the back of news that uh, American sports investor Shahid Khan is looking to buy the stadium from the Football Association. Uh, and the Football Association, more importantly, are probably prepared to sell. I have three people with me and they are the usual three people. First up is Christopher Nee. Hello. Hello, you alright? I can't complain, how are you? Yeah, very well, thank you very much. Excellent. Uh, I also have Ryan Keeney. Alright? Alright mate, you okay? Yeah, good, thank you, how are you? Yeah, very well, thank you, just answered that, should have been listening. Um, I also have David Hartrick. Hello. Hello mate, you well? Yeah, a bit despite because I just I thought this was a snooker podcast. <laughs> got me on under false pretences here. Nice. Um, I'm just trying to think of a snooker podcast pun nickname. There is one out there called the Podcast. The pop. I mean, that's pretty bad as well. Mm, but it's a good podcast though. Good podcast, bad name. Mm. Pot the pink, I suppose, is what we're meant to say here. Um, anyway, <laughs> uh, five questions all about Wembley. Um, first question is, and I'm doing these completely from memory, so that's bad news. Uh, <laughs> what is you can edit out that pause uh, what is nope. your relationship with Wembley Stadium uh, Chris go first uh, I, I've i got a pretty good relationship with Wembley uh, despite being from Birmingham so I was, I was taught to have a healthy scepticism of having a national stadium in London rather than in central England where it plainly obviously belongs um, but I am a sucker for what Wembley stands for. I love that it's iconic and I've always loved that English football had this home, had this pinnacle to all of its English competitions, all point at Wembley, England, Wembley. Um, So I am lucky enough to go way back with Wembley. Uh, When I was in primary school, there was an older lad when I first started, who then went on to secondary school and got into the England schoolboys team. Um, and one of my teachers started running trips to watch him at Wembley. So I went to a couple of those. Um, and then I'd also, by that point, been to uh, my first Wembley game, which was the 94 Coca-Cola Cup final, I think, was the first one, um, which was pretty magical. And then I went to the 96 uh, final of the same competition again. Uh, and around that time, I was at a school which grouped together with a bunch of other local schools to run a coach to England games, which I loved going to. So I went to a bunch of England games 
in the sort of mid to late nineties and kind of had everything reinforced about what I knew of Wembley as the home of English football. Then with the new Wembley, I've been to a gig, I've been to American football, I've been to another League Cup final, I've been to uh, an FA Cup semi-final, and I went to my first FA Cup final at the new Wembley as well. So it's it's the new one's kind of become synonymous with a big occasion um, in my life, and I think most fans probably still see it like that. It still has, has that iconic character to it. Um, however... Uh, it has become a bit of a millstone around the, the neck of the FA these days and, and in the modern world the finances involved in that as we will come on to at great length I'm sure can't be ignored OK I, I'll go next on the basis I took the question particularly literally um, in terms of old Wembley my relationship was as a fan um, only once I'm sad to say Uh I used to love watching England on telly, but it never really occurred to me to go and watch them as a, well, I say as a child. I wasn't driving myself. I'm not driving myself now. Um, <laughs> so we I can confirm went, this information. Yeah, I yeah. only went, I've only been once to the old one as a, as a fan, and that was in 1992. Um, so it, to me, because of that, I think it kind of had still had this mystical, magical air because it was somewhere where England played, where... Mm. Um, and therefore, yeah, you know, it had that very romantic the, feeling. The first visit to the old Wembley, when it felt like... Oh, mine was a, a cup final, so it had this anyway, but also my first England game. It was properly meaningful. The, yeah. It definitely had a magic to it. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, I was I was so young that I, I have hazy memories of it. Um, and I was also so young that even you know going to every football match was the best thing ever um but yeah so it definitely had a kind of romance to me then the new Wembley Stadium I have been to games as a um as a fan i.e England games as a neutral i.e watching games from the stands with friends who support clubs um and but yeah mainly as a as a working venue in my old life I was not in a Glen Hoddle way uh but in my old life I um (laughs) Yeah, we ran five-a-side tournaments there for Umbro, so I got to do the whole dressing room tunnel, playing on the pitch stuff for a number of years, which was obviously amazing. Uh, and then, yeah, obviously recently in the press area, getting sitting on the gravy train as it stops in every station. Um, and it doesn't have any magic for me anymore, I have to say. I don't know if that's because it, I work in it or if because it's lost some of that, but it doesn't really have any magic to me anymore. It has lost some. Yeah, the games, the, some of the. I think to me now, some of the games it hosts have magic. So FA Cup finals still do, and big England games still do. But that's the games that have the magic, not the stadium. I don't think anymore, which is a shame. Um, go on then, Rai Rai, as a kind of an outsider's take, I suppose. Are we just getting older? Uh, no, I, th- I. We are. I mean, we are. That's how time works. Um, I, I, I wouldn't. I don't think I ever placed Wembley on a pedestal, um, but I always, because as Chris mentioned, the cup finals ended there. It was always somewhere that I wanted to go, and I, I've had the pleasure of of being there. Uh, I think it was four times. I've, I've done trying to count up for for various things, and 
um, internationals and at the Olympics um, got there a couple of times and, and then I've been once as well uh, working and, and was underneath the stadium during an FA Cup semi-final which is really fun and uh, or it was in a production truck but um, you still kind of hear the, the atmosphere and the tension and, and wandering around before kickoff which was nice so it I don't know if it necessarily was on a a, ped- a pedestal or a level necessarily of the the biggest I think I would have had Old Trafford being a Man United fan on a, a certain point and even like stadiums slightly further away like Bombonera is, is a bit higher than that but it was certainly one of those ones that you want to take off you want to get to a game there ideally an England game or a, a, a big club cup club game um, which I've managed to do thankfully so um, yeah very much tick off the bucket list nice ground I would have liked to have gone to Wembley, but it was it was obviously New Wembley that I've been to um, multiple mm-hmm. times. Did you ever get to Wembley FC? No, never had the uh, pleasure. When I arrived in London and, and started getting into that, they, uh, they, they buddied up too much to uh, Budweiser, for yeah. my taste. Good. Anti, anti-corporate Ryan Keeney. Yeah, Pouring, all about the South London San Siro for me. For free product Good lad. Uh, Dave, are you... Did you like the old Wembley Stadium? Did it make you feel a bit romantic? I know the answer to both of these questions, but keep talking anyway. No, they're both awful. <laughs> the old Wembley was horrible. The seats were terrible. The toilets were a disgrace. That is true. Uh, yeah. It was just... I mean, I went, I, I went. I was lucky enough to go a couple of times, and what was great about Wembley was the iconography of the Twin Towers and it being Wembley. Wembley itself was terrible, and anybody who tells you it wasn't, unfortunately, as as they're being clouded by nostalgia and possibly red wine. Um, but it, it was it. There was no denying it did have something special in terms of just just being a place where finals were played, where your appearances for the national team came. And the new Wembley uh, that I've been to a couple of times is just so soulless and they play so many games there now comparatively that, you know, you say that it's lost something. I think it's lost everything. It, it, it's harmed actively harmed the FA Cup. It's actively harmed uh, sort of the England team, in, in my humble opinion. Um, and I, I, I just I just don't like it, really. And I think... What would instantly improve Wembley, in my mind, is if we sold it <laughs> straight away and didn't use it anywhere near as often, so that it did start to feel special again, and it did start to feel like a national stadium rather than a stadium. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, I've never, you know, I've never done the Dan Ryan thing. I've never done the the, the backstage thing or, or anything like that. But being there as a punter, it's it's just. I don't know. It's it's I it's I get the same feeling there that I get at a very nice brand spanking new shopping centre. It's it's it, I don't know. It just doesn't feel like a football stadium somehow. Um, but I think also what doesn't help is I'm obviously a I'm obviously a massive England fan, and I do think since we moved into the stadium that we've lost something. Uh, in England games there and I'm obviously a Brighton fan and Brighton's record there is pretty terrible so I don't have that game to to latch anything round if you know what I mean you know Ryan can point to various cup finals with all of his teams uh, 
<laughs> you know, Dan can point to League Cup finals and FA Cup finals. He can remember with Forrest and, and Chris has been there, you know, supporting Villa in F, FA Cup final and, and League Cup finals. Mm. It's I always find these things a little bit tough because I just don't have that club link with it. I don't have that club history there. I am... Um... It's about this time of the podcast that I realise Ryan is effectively frozen out of the first two questions, which is excellent. Um, so I'm going to go to him first for the second question, which is what is your favourite Wembley memory? Also as an outsider, Ryan. Uh, yeah, so... Yeah, I read this question wrong. I thought it was what's your favourite Wembley goal? Um, <laughs> Ryan, so, can you remember what, your favourite Wembley goal for me? Yeah, I can. Um, Go on then. So the so the 1994 FA Cup final, Man United won four nil and beat Chelsea. Yeah. 1995 FA Cup final, Everton beat Man United one 0 which was a bit sad. Agreed. And then 1996, Man United were in the FA Cup final again and they beat Liverpool one 0 So when the again. 1997 FA Cup final rolled around, um, I, I, sorry, yeah. carry on. I thought I thought you were going to go on forever. So <laughs> I was a I was a bit bemused that Man United weren't in an FA Cup final because I be, haven't been nine, ten, eleven, and then and now twelve. Uh, no, 8, 9, 10 and now 11 uh, just moved my birthday earlier in the year I was kind of like, well, if my United are in the Cup final I'm not really that interested and then Roberto Di Matteo in the 43rd second just lashed one in from about 35 yards and it was really, really fun Very good The uh, good thing about this run is that goals can be memories too Yeah, so, you've answered so that is my favourite So my, my favourite uh, Wembley memory slash favourite Wembley goal is uh, Roberto Di Matteo that's good. So, not for one of for any of your clubs. No, no. That's nice. I I agree with you. There is something. I remember Luis Hard doing it very early in a uh, was that a, an FA Cup final as well? Yeah, I think it was, wasn't it? Uh, for Everton against hmm, Chelsea. Chelsea. Yeah, Chelsea. Um, yeah, and that was again. There's something really nice about an early goal in a massive game like that because mm. you just. We're so used to big cup finals kind of starting slowly, aren't we? That I'm with you on that. It is. It kind of wakes everyone up and goes, oh yeah, the finals started. Centre-back pairing for Middlesbrough that day? Uh, good question. Uh, Nigel Pearson and Gianluca Festa. I mean, didn't give us that long to answer, but fine. <laughs> no, you weren't <laughs> um, getting it. Good to see Pearson, good. Uh, right, Chris, you go next. Uh, I have also gone for a goal. Good. Because... Because Dave's absolutely right about the toilets at the old Wembley. Uh, <laughs> I think actually the the new one, I believe, at the time it was built, had more toilets than any other building in Europe. Yeah, and the very first game they played there with a full crowd, they all overflowed because they may have lots of toilets, but they hadn't put in adequate plumbing for 80,000 people having a piss. <laughs> <laughs> right, old Wembley. Um I'm going for a Villa one. It's from the 96 Coca-Cola Cup final. Uh, and it's Savo Milosevic's opening goal. Uh, which... it oh, Savo was an interesting character at Villa. And he went through various stages of popularity and unpopularity with Villa supporters. Um, and by the end of his first season, or by the middle of his first season, I guess, he'd acquired a nickname that was less than flattering uh, but also scored a bunch of twos and threes in big games and at this point I think we're starting to become very popular with, with, with Villa fans we went into the League Cup final in 96 against Leeds United 
having I think fairly recently or at least in that season beaten them 3-0 uh, and we went on to, to beat them 3-0 in this game as well and I don't think Villa made a substitution that day and I think that uh, Howard Wilkinson's team selection and his decisions on the day were kind of widely questioned as well all the while Villa just strolled through them to certainly the easiest Wembley game I've seen Villa have in my lifetime uh, and Savo's goal was a, a bit of a release really um, because when you have that tension of a cup final and the league cup final still meant the world in 96 uh, and it I think this put Villa on level terms with Liverpool on five again possibly ahead of Liverpool on five um, but it, 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 it reinforced the, the strong connection that Villa supporters have with the League Cup and for it all to be released by an absolute pile driver into the top corner from 25 odd yards um, was just such a special moment and I think the, the biggest and loudest and most uh, mobile goal celebration I've ever been involved in in a football stadium it was Bedlam there we go. And, it, lovely... and it's Villa's best ever goal at Wembley. Uh, I can think of no others to, to compete with it, Chris. I'll take your word for it. Thank you. Do you want to know my, you want to know my favourite ever Villa goal, Chris? While we're here, ever Villa goal? Yeah. Is it a uh, Paul McGrath header? No. Against Nottingham Forest? No, no, no. It isn't. No, that would be silly. Uh, it's 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 Dalian Atkinson's goal against Wimbledon in the rain. Oh, of course it is. Of course it is, with the man celebrating with the brolly. Yes, and that's the best bit of the goal. Apologies, Atkinson. <laughs> uh, oh, that's just really sad. Daily Atkinson RIP, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, Ugh, and here you are on a podcast calling him Atkinson. What? <laughs> Referring to him by his surname. Yeah, it's good. There are more than one, there are more than one Villa Atkinson, it should be said. Um, his dad. I'll go next. Big Ron. I'll go next because mine is... Uh, a little bit, yeah, very personal as well and not something that anyone is going to get on board with unless they are very niche or a Forest fan. Uh, and that is the only time I went to Wembley as a, a proper fan, which was the um, 1992's Zenith Data Systems Cup final. Yay. Obviously. The full Members' Cup because uh, of the Heysel ban. Obviously, English fans were... English clubs were banned from Europe, so we had an extra domestic cup competition. Uh, and Forest were actually really good in it, which is nice. Um... And we, we, the only time I ever went was to a final. My mum and I went to the game, which was what we used to do. We were incredibly late, so we had to park in the Wembley car park, which wasn't deliberate. We got there about two minutes before kickoff. Uh, I was six, so fairly hazy memories. But um, Scott Gemmell scored twice, including the winner in extra time. Kingsley Black scored as well. Matt Letizio scored for Southampton. I remember thinking he was good. And then the, my favourite bit of the day was when we were leaving the stadium. My mum had no idea where she was going because we got to the ground in a panic of not taking care of where she was going. So her brave and brainy idea was to follow the flags, follow the, the cars that had red and white scarves coming out the back and obviously Southampton playing red and white as well. And we got halfway to the south coast before realising we were going the wrong way. Um, and then had a five and a half hour journey back from where we were, which was pleasant. That's about fleet services though, that's all right. Yeah, exactly. I think it probably was Fleet Services where we she sort of realised that we were going south rather than north. Um, so yeah, shout out to Lynn for that. Um, 
Well Quite done, a personal memory, that, I'd say. I'm not sure anyone's going to get on board with it. Dave, is yours a little bit more obvious? Uh, well, I've, I, there's two, really, and they're both things I've discussed at length on this podcast before, so I won't bore people with the details, but the first is coming from a Tottenham supporting family. It's that 1987 FA Cup final played in absolutely brilliant sunshine, as all the best cup finals are, um, and Coventry City beating Spurs 3-2. And it also contained one of my favourite ever goals, uh, which was Houchin's diving header, of course. Um, and it was a time when the FA Cup, you know, properly mattered. That week, shoot was a full FA Cup special. You could buy the programme uh, in your local newsagents and post office, which isn't something you see anymore. Um, and yeah, it was... Uh, that was great, to be honest, because it meant I could lord it over my family for a little bit. Um, but the other one is, of course, the 25th of April 1990, which is when Paul Gascoigne absolutely bossed a game against Czechoslovakia and got himself on that plane to Italia 90. And it remains, in terms of individual performances, I think in my lifetime, probably in the top certainly in the top five I've ever seen possibly even in the top three and if if I know a lot of people will sort of say oh cliche Hartrick's just gone for Gascoigne etc this was exactly the sort of game that sort of proved why I hold him in such great esteem really and I would urge anybody to look at Steve Ball's first goal in the game and the ball that Gaza picks him out with, with the outside of his boot from the halfway line, is just absolutely stunning. Um, but he was doing that all night. And the one thing he did do was actually stay in position, um, which is what Bobby Robson, I think, needed to see on the night. And, uh, yeah, everything just came off. So, uh, yeah, two, really. No, I'm sorry, I've got no service station-based stories. <laughs> but... You, that'll have to do. That's no, good. It's good. It's very good. Um, question two done. Question three is, I suppose, the reason we're doing the podcast at all, or certainly this episode of it. Um, the sale of Wembley. Are we on board? Are we happy with it? Do we think it's like selling Buckingham Palace, as Garth Crooks uh, wrote on the BBC website this week? Um, it's been interesting to me. I'll go first. It's been interesting to me to see. The range of names, both for and against it. Um, there's been a few of the, should we say, old school journalists who have been very anti it for perhaps unsurprising reasons of, you know, um, patriotic pride. Um, but Gary Neville was was another one who who said he was firmly against it, and that seemed to be him coming from a player's, you know, an ex-player's point of view and someone who has played at Wembley for um, for England mm. um, and away from it. Yeah, and I suppose played up. Yeah, played and played at both Wembley stadiums. I assume, I guess. Yeah. Um, I personally have have no issue with it on with a number of caveats. Um, this idea that it's this huge national treasure, you know, the Buckingham Palace line is is a nonsense to me. Um, if it, all the history, uh, you know, we've we've discussed this almost in question one, but all the history in that stadium was in the old stadium, and they did nothing. In fact, they deliberately went away from keeping anything the same um, from stadium to stadium. They they completely knocked it down, and they completely started again. And that, at the time, that was felt the right thing to do, but that clearly got rid of some of the 
the romance and history of the stadium. Um, the, the idea of it being a disgrace that's in private hands is a nonsense because it was in uh, private hands until 1999 anyway. Um but the the you know the the huge flashing neon light here is is the potential six hundred million that has been apparently ring fence for grassroots football. Um, I don't think it should let the government and a series of governments off the hook for underfunding in those areas anyway. But if six hundred million pounds is going, then six hundred million pounds we should take um, as long as it is invested properly. Um, the only thing that has left a sour taste in my mouth is, and I saw it on BBC News this morning. Shahi Khan was talking about buying it and he was selling himself, perhaps unsurprisingly, as this saviour of the England team and saviour of English football because he's giving us all this money. Um, let's not pretend this guy's doing us a favour here. He's doing it because he wants to bring an NFL team to London and make money accordingly and it happens to be a perfect position and a perfect place for him to have a, a ready-built stadium so he doesn't have to do it from scratch. He is not doing this out of the goodness of his heart, which is what he was basically trying to claim on the news this morning. But yeah, other than that, I'm kind of on board. Um, Dave, you go first this time. Me? Yeah. Flog it. Flog Get it. rid. Yeah. I, 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 it's, let's be honest, it's been a bit of a white elephant in many regards. If that money can go back into football, then absolutely fair enough. Mm-hmm. You will be able to caveat the deal just as you can with most large property deals that you can ring fence the FA Cup final and mm-hmm. League Cup final etc there for you know 99 years or what have you um, do it and I, I've i yet to see an argument that argues against it that isn't basically based in pretty much sort of little Englander talk yeah. which should be attached to a stadium that doesn't actually exist anymore because yeah. they're, what they're really talking about is how special the old Wembley felt as a venue until you're actually there. Um, the new Wembley doesn't. If you, you play your FA Cup semi-finals there, you can't claim it as a special venue for the final. No. It, it's not how it works. If you play everything from sort of the FA Trophy final there to, to various others, you can't continue to say this is a special venue and this is a premier venue when you play so many times there and it is so accessible. So, yeah, get rid, get it, get it sold. No, no issue from me whatsoever. And in terms of England, no, get them, get them going around the country. Judge it accordingly. If we get in a group with, you know, a a, a big, a big side qualification when I say we get in with a Holland then yeah play that game at Wembley fill Wembley try and create a bit of atmosphere no issue whatsoever but if we're playing if we get in with like you know a a Faroe Islands or a really small country like Scotland then you know play that round the country play at Old Trafford play at St James's Park play it at St Mary's when the England team played those games round the country the atmosphere was incredible, you know, and I, I'm thinking about the, the Turkey game. Was that the Stadium of Light, yep. the Turkey game? And it was an absolute cauldron yeah. for the night. We're, and there was there was other games. The, the the Beckham goal against Greece at Old Trafford, it, it wouldn't feel the same if that had been at Wembley. There was something about it being played, you know, him being a Man United legend 
and playing at Old Trafford and doing it in the last minute, it was very much a triumvirate of those things. It wasn't. It wouldn't have felt the same somewhere else. Uh, there was. I remember Stephen Gerrard scoring for England at Anfield, and it was brilliant. And players raised their games when they were, you know, playing for England in in their home stadium and what have you. So I'm I'm all forgetting. I'm not saying take all games away from there. As I said, the really big games. Let's let's keep them at Wembley. That's absolutely fine. But everything else, just get them. Around. Nobody needs, you know, a, a friendly doesn't need to be at Wembley, does it? There's there's no argument you can give me other that's one that's based around the FA trying to recoup their losses that you can't play against. Uh, you know, I don't know Paraguay at wherever you want to play. So yeah, get rid, get it sold, do it tomorrow. Let's yes. all move on. And that's your answer for question three and four, which is good. Um, Brian, as an outsider, uh, I'll slightly rephrase a question. Would if you were an, if you were you, well, you are a Northern Ireland fan? If you were coming across from Northern Ireland as an away fan, you know, living there, would you be disappointed if you weren't playing England at Wembley? No, we played England at Old Trafford, which was handy because I was a student in Manchester. Um, but battered you. <laughs> yeah, then we we won the return leg, so it's fine. Um, yeah, and you'd have very much taken one win each, I think. Yeah, that was more important. Uh, I I don't think so. I don't think it was lost on on any of the fans that they got uh, they got the trip to Manchester. I think that whole weekend was a bit blurry, but but really really good fun. I I I don't think the offer. However much has been, if it's less than a billion, I'm not convinced that's a good deal. And I, it's a lot of money, but just from the like, Chad Khan's not doing this out of the goodness of his heart. He, as as Dan mentioned, he's on a PR push. He's talking about being able to help support grassroots football and uh, provide a framework around getting big events to England, like the the World Cup or, or Super Bowl or, or other things like that. He's not, but he's not doing this. Out of the goodness of his heart, like that he's not. I don't think that's a, a particularly competitive offer. Admittedly, there's not mm. many people in the market for a, a massive big stadium in in London. Um, but just the the amount of money that he can he can make from it, having those kind of venues there, um, mm. I'm not convinced it's a it's a good deal. It, it would seem but, unusual that, um, and you know, it might it might not be as simple as this, but it would seem unusual that uh, for Shade can't come in with. His final offer first. Yeah, uh, I agree with you there, and I think this is kind of being sold as a great deal for the FA without you know supply and demand terms. Shahid Khan really wants a stadium, and he really wants a big stadium, and he really wants it near central London. <laughs> so, or the, yeah, you know, you're right. There are, there's not many people that want them, but he is one man who really does. If the Jaguars are gonna, um, if the Jaguars are gonna move to London, then they're either gonna have to ground share with Tottenham, I think, and that will be very messy. Or they're going to have to have play in a new stadium, and Wembley is the only option really, I think, for him. So, yeah, I think you're right about the price. I think, it, to, in layman terms, the difference between six hundred and eight hundred and nine hundred million is is impossible to quantify in terms of what it. Yeah, means, I, but yeah, I completely agree, and and necessarily don't have the the greatest amount of confidence that the FA will will spend all of that money brilliantly yes. either. Um, oh no, we all know they'll just go and we, we, spunk okay, it on a load of magic beans first chance yeah. they get. Is not not necessarily a, a reason not to do it, but you know, just to be skeptical. I think, I think he is a, now is a really good time because Wembley is in a weird flux. I think in a lot of people's minds because of the Tottenham 
situation and the way that they are playing their home games there. That that means it's it's seen more on TV than it's ever been in a year, um, which is probably a really good time for this deal to happen for for Cannon mm. to, to to make mm. the offer. I, I still think that there's even ignoring all Spurs matches, uh, teams can play at when club sides can play at Wembley at least four times a year with League Cup final. Uh, sorry, three times FA Cup semi final and FA Cup final. You've got all the playoffs. You've got lots of things on there, and I think it's just lost a little bit of a sparkle. Um, I don't think uh, we we'll probably talk about this in question four, um, but I don't think a country with the footballing pedigree that England does and the infrastructure of twenty or thirty other stadiums um, of the the quality that they have need to do everything at Wembley. Chris, do you want the long run up at? at- whether you trust the FA to spend the money wisely, <laughs> I, I will take a long run up towards that point. Yes, I, I, I think it's important to acknowledge that it doesn't feel right for some people, and, and that's that's kind of fine. Yeah, um, there's something of that in me as well. Uh, but uh, Dave very astutely points out that that's really about the old stadium. I think that's the case um, in my mind as well. Um, so I'm unable to put forward a case for not selling it. Really, I'd like the I'd like the deal to be a good deal, um, and there is definitely an argument that's uh, started to kind of crop up in in coverage in the last couple of days that it's not actually enough money for for, right. for Wembley, um, and certainly not enough money for the amount of money that's gone into Wembley. Um, mm-hmm. There's loads of stuff around uh, the public money that went in to support that as well, um, but. There are big elements of the probable outcome of all this that are plus points. The first one is that England will play at least some games around the country. Yep. Good tick. Uh, FA Cup semi-finals could revert to their traditional home, i.e. not at Sodding Wembley. Um, and however you slice it up, it will be a boatload of money. Um, and the FA is a not-for-profit that exists for football. These are good things, but they come with, with equivalent doubts, really. Uh I can't see England not playing some games at Wembley. Um, potentially, whenever they can be played at Wembley, which which it makes England a tenant of, of Shade Khan, which I, being a tenant in our own home, I find very difficult to stomach. Yeah. Um, and as we've already noted, the FA wouldn't know what to do with whatever money they'd actually make from this anyway. Um, so... I think if you could guarantee the semi-finals of the FA Cup would move and you could guarantee the money would be adequately invested in the game, I'd be 100% in favour. Um, but they're going to sell, so it's all kind of academic anyway. Um, mm. The where, where, it, where it becomes interesting for me is, is England. And this is the most important point, I think. And if we could achieve this, I would be happy. And that is that if if Wembley is sold... I don't want it to be England's home. I don't want England to be a tenant. And if it's sold, it's his. So for for me, it should become another stadium on the England tour, equivalent to all of the other stadiums on the England tour. Not England's stadium when the NFL season isn't isn't playing. Not England's stadium when it's available or whatever. It is a stadium in London at which England sometime play. Because if we're second or third on the list and play there when it's available any plus points 
of Wembley's history and heritage are kind of lost and we become the we become the second rate tenant within a big old soulless cavern uh, this this links into question four, so we might as well bring it in now. Uh, which is that is the concept of a of a national stadium outdated? Um, I it sounds like I'm very much against the grain here, but I'm not I'm not as sold on on the idea, both the idea of, of going around the country and of FA Cup semi finals not being. At, well, not that they're at Wembley, but they're not in the biggest stadium in the country. Um, I, I, I more understand the the reason to move around the country just so other fans can see games. I get it, but in looking through some of those games, there is a there is a, a slight air of roast tintedness. I think, you know, look at some of the stadiums we had. You know, twenty seven thousand at Portman Road and thirty thousand at the Riverside, and um, that to me when you can get 90,000 in Wembley and a percentage of those are going to be kids or 28,000 at Portman Road, I, that leaves me a little bit cold, quite frankly. Um, which sounds a little bit heartless to the people in those areas, but I don't know. A percentage of a percentage of the people that go to England games will go to every England game. Um, once you also have, you know, the uh, the area for away support plus the area for dignitaries plus 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 plus, you were probably left with, I guess, let's say take Portman Road the example, you were probably left with about eighteen nineteen thousand tickets for home fans, and I suspect there are around seven or eight thousand people who go to, you know, who go to England games anyway, and that's a quite a small fraction, therefore, for the rest of the people. So, the argument of having it in the biggest stadium, having it in a ninety thousand seat stadium, which Let's be clear, England sell more tickets to their home games than any other country in the world um, and have done for a long time. Uh, and therefore, a lot of people see those games. So I'm, I'm not as sold. What, what my halfway measure would be to come up with, rather than as they did before, which was, I think, something like 15 different stadiums saw England games, I would have a, a, a series of four or five. So I would have Liverpool, uh, so I'd have Anfield, Old Trafford, uh, St James's Park, um, a Midland Stadium, um, and then yes, a, a London one as well, and maybe have like five or six. Uh, what I wouldn't do is take it on this fancy tour and have it around fourteen or fifteen stadiums, because to me, that 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 runs the risk of of making England games feel like a little bit of a circus. I agree um, with that. Uh, the the semi final thing is just my preference. I I I understand that it's damn hard for fans from Manchester to come down to London, but yeah, I kind of have to have it somewhere. And I'd again, I'd rather have it. They always sell it out, or they very, you know, they they, they always go for very close to full capacity. Um, if you were going to play, let's say, you know, Chelsea versus Man United, right? Where we're going to have it, Villa Park. Okay, well that's forty thousand. So immediately take off ten thousand for corporate sh- shit which you always get at a semi-final and then you still you're not going to get many fans in there um, and I think I suspect if you spoke to Manchester United fans that live in Manchester they would rather go to a semi-final in Wembley and be sure of getting a ticket than have it at Villa Park which is still a journey and run the risk of not getting a ticket um, so that's just my take so I'm not as convinced um, so I'll let you guys go go on then David Hartrick uh, I think it is an outdated concept, but I, I don't think it should be. I think we should have a national stadium, 
but it has to be special. Like I've said, it, it mm. has to be somewhere that you have to earn a right to play at. Um, and at the moment, I think Ryan summed it up quite nicely with the whole Spurs thing. At the moment, there's no element about playing at Wembley that really feels particularly special um, or going to Wembley. And I think your argument about, you know, not... I think your argument, Dan, is very eloquently put, but I think I think you're completely... You're looking at it from quite a, a, a... sort of not cynical isn't the right word but I think there's a lot of people who want a little bit of spirit back into the FA Cup yeah. and having those games at neutral stadiums yeah the, the, you might not get as many people in but there was a far better atmosphere far far better atmosphere and it, it made again it made that prize of getting to Wembley be almost as big as the you know the cup final itself it's the reason why FA Cup uh, coverage used to be strung out over the whole day because you know even something as simple as a club leaving a hotel and driving to Wembley and arriving at Wembley felt special it felt different it just doesn't now it it just absolutely doesn't but is that and, is that partly is that partly the fault of the FA Cup but also partly the fault of the Premier League feeling so dominant anyway. Yeah, I I mean, we're sort of going into a different conversation that moves away from the stadium, to be honest with you. But yeah, there there is, you know, I've spoke to you before about my, um, how how annoyed I am at <laughs> the at, at Premier League football and how now we rest players in every other competition going for league games and it, it, I just think it's farcical I genuinely do but you know to go back to the stadium itself I think a national stadium is actually something quite important in that if you look at for example the Millennium Stadium in Wales I think that as national stadiums go in terms of new builds I think it's absolutely brilliant mm-hmm. it's not great to get to and from yeah. but it is absolutely fantastic and retains a really really good atmosphere and I can think of several others and I think Wembley could be that I think Wembley could feel like that and we could get there but not as it's currently used not not when you see it on television you know 30 times a season to be frank and if Chelsea are in there um then we're going to have the same situation as we've got with Spurs this this time but after that it really should be a closed shop other than for the the very very biggest games but as a concept no i don't think that the, i i don't think the national stadium should be an outdated concept but it is mm-hmm. you know there's there's no denying that and that is football's own fault to be frank and i, I do mean, just just to go back to some of the some of the things some of the the journalists were saying and what have you like you can't really have a favorite Wembley memory from the new stadium because it just doesn't it's not even that it's such a modern build it doesn't generate them it doesn't we've not had those memorable games and those those you know moments where the crowd has just completely lost it um, so I it, it, and I do think it comes back to that same thing. We just use it too much. It's 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 
far we see it far too often. Let's make it special again. Um, in terms of the the you know the teams that have and don't have international stadiums, there's no there's actually no weirdly there doesn't seem to be much of a pattern on it. In you know in so far as Germany and Spain and Italy don't have a national stadium, but France does. Brazil doesn't officially have a national stadium, but Argentina does. So there doesn't seem to be much reason to it. But obviously, Italy, Brazil, Germany, Spain don't and have all won the World Cup relatively recently. So it clearly doesn't hold teams back. Um, Ryan, would you know? Are you, I'm sure you're immensely proud of Windsor Park. Um, hmm. Is that special to you? Yeah, I, I think the the concept of the national stadium is not outdated, and and things that work. I think you just need we need football associations and the powers that be to be as as flexible as they can be, um, and and that's what it comes to. I tried to not worry so much about England, but I just I don't see how why England are still playing all of their games at Wembley or as, as many games as they have to, and mm. and some of this is the FA like accidentally stumbled on a really good idea when they were rebuilding Wembley and somebody's clearly gone in about five minutes oh well while it's being rebuilt we'll just play the games all around the place we'll we'll do a tour and actually cracked onto a really really smart idea but then panicked because actually they wanted to get everybody back to Wembley because they had to pay for a massive big stadium that they'd just thrown 800 million or whatever it was into and that's part of the reason why they, they pick up semi-finals there. I think a, a country with the number of stadiums that England do, uh, the quality of, of those stadiums, quality of, of everything around that, shouldn't be playing all of their games in one place. Um, no. For for fans' reasons, for everything else, there's no there's no justifiable reason. And I, I would think I would say the same about Scotland and Wales, probably to a lesser extent. I think Wales could play in maybe three stadiums, like Liberty, uh, City of Cardiff, uh, Cardiff City Stadium, and millennium and, and rotate through those and, and make decisions based on the likelihood of the, the crowds they're going to get and if they're going to fill out the millennium by all yeah, means they do, they do that they do that yeah they, I'm sorry yeah they, they do it. And, and I think Scotland should be, be similar it shouldn't be everything at, at Hamden um, start moving it around a little bit and, and give Edinburgh and even uh, Aberdeen or the Dundee sides some of the, the smaller games where they'll get a better atmosphere by, by having um, fans of more local fans who, who don't have the opportunity to, to get to Glasgow uh, for the Ireland, for, for Ireland, for Northern and, and Republic, it doesn't make sense. There's, there's, there are one, there's one stadium basically. Yeah. Um, the Republic could play at, at Crow Park, could play at the RDS. They could just about get by somewhere else. But why would they win? The Aviva is is excellent. So the, the concept to me, not not an outdated one. I think you you've just got to try and be as flexible as you can, and, and probably put your fans first. I think the, the beauty of uh, what Germany, Spain, and, and Italy is—they they they tour around quite a lot, and and that gives uh, players and and fans a chance to uh, to play in front of different crowds and, and play in front of. And I mean, I think I've seen. Uh, all right, it goes a little bit too far in the other side because the German side like brought uh, Schweinsteiger back for particular games to so he yeah. could have his retirement game in front of uh, particular crowds, which you know is it make a little bit of sick in your mouth, but. Other than that, it's uh, I, I, yeah, it's not an ideal concept to, to my mind. Just have to be smart about it, and uh, that will then, in turn, probably restore a bit of mistake to to Wembley, which benefit it in in the long run. It won't. It's not, not going to pile up the pounds every year on year, but 
um, it will have people clambering to get back to, to games there. Um, Chris, is this idea of, you know, when we say outdated, it clearly does work for some countries, clearly doesn't work for others, so it clearly does, as Ryan says, completely depend on the country. Um, if England goes on the road, can we trust the FA to make a good deal of that or is my suspicion which is that the only reason we enjoy one of the reasons we enjoyed it going on the road is because we knew it was only for a temporary period we knew it was for a finite amount of time before we went back to Wembley um could it kind of dwindle do we think yeah it could I I think it's a good idea but the question was do you trust the FA to etc etc and the answer to that is always no yeah uh I I think I don't think that the the national stadium as a concept is necessarily outdated, but I think it might go that way. Um, and I think that the interest from Khan in Wembley and the purposes that it will have after that sale are probably indicative of, of, of that. When I think of all the things I love about Wembley and about having a national stadium and about the national stadium being in London, they're all to do with traditionalism and, and, and symbolism. And that's fine for me. That's who I am. I'm comfortable with it. Uh, but I also don't expect to be the voice of the modern age. And the National Stadium doesn't seem to be doing England any favours. So I think, almost to bring it round to the last question, maybe we should be considering exactly what it is the FA would be holding on to. You know, there's, there's, there's lots and lots of pros and cons, but at the heart of it all is the fact that, you know, the pros of selling come with 600 800 million quid and the cons see us continuing to throw money down mm. the drain yeah the the other the other thing the kind of what if is that obviously when the new Wembley was was in the p- pipeline or was the, the proposals were being put together there was the possibility that the national stadium could have moved mm. um it's uh, it's not going to happen now because of funding but if we were to rebuild the national stadium, Chris, do you, would you would you have it outside London, or do you think it has to be in a capital city? Or no, I'd have it outside London. I'd have it here. Um, right here, you mean on your doorstep, don't you? Yeah, basically. Yeah. Um, and you know, we we are lucky in the West Midlands to have the uh, justification that it's in the middle of England. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I I would be against rebuilding yeah. at this point. I, if we if we sell Wembley we if the FA sells Wembley uh, I, I personally wouldn't having them play there uh, on any preferential terms any more frequently than anywhere else and I wouldn't replace it last question uh, simple one tapping one um, there is already a obviously a Bobby Moore statue outside Wembley pride of place if there were to be a second statue built outside Wembley who should that statue be tribute to Ryan Keeney Paul Gascoigne goal against Scotland yes I mean yeah uh, yeah fine I mean well it's literally your opinion yep good not the well, the dentist chair or the actual goal don't mind <laughs> somebody more creative than me can figure out the pose could um, there be a, could yeah, there ever be such a person Ryan well, because well, I think there's there's two statues outside Wembley, isn't there? There's uh, Bobby Moore, and then there's the five rugby league players. Yeah, rugby league players. Yeah, yeah. There, there should be more. What the hell is rugby league? <laughs> <laughs> Says, said in the most northern voice possible, thus undermining your point. Uh, 
Go on then, Dave. Uh, default answer to all of these things, Stanley Matthews. He's already got a couple of statues, yeah. but it, I don't care. He should have a statue in every town in the land. Uh, the bloke was just a genius with the football. I won't go into it all again, but first Ballon d'Or winner, and he had a very famous FA Cup final there. I don't think he played much there for England. I don't think he even scored a goal there, but I would have Stanley Matthews statues everywhere. So, Stan. Okay, that's fine. Chris? Uh, on on the assumption that, for whatever reason, the sale doesn't go through, uh, my selection would be Billy Wright who is the, the world's first international centurion, 90-time England captain, uh, captain at the first three World Cups that England went to and in the, the famous Hungary game in 1953. Uh, so he is a huge figure in England's history on that basis alone and was apparently a phenomenal player. Um, so I will go for him. I have five others then uh, as possibles uh, Viv Anderson is the first black player mm-hmm. to start a game for the England senior side um, Gary Lineker is, is the only well as one of our highest scorers and the only England player to, to win a golden boot at a World Cup um, Alf Ramsey is probably my, my least strongest shout on the basis that kind of 66 has been covered by the statue that's currently there Um Kelly Smith as England's record goal scorer and certainly England women's team's best ever player um, who didn't play at Wembley as often as she should have. England's first women's game at Wembley was 2014, which is absolutely mental. Um, But actually played there a lot for Arsenal. Uh, And if we're looking for a character to of what made English football great and a personality and also just a lovely person it should be Bobby Robson um, kind of he he is the epitome of what English football should stand for and what Wembley quite often doesn't uh, agreed that's all we've got time for 53 minutes not bad is it perfectly yep. timed podcast thank you gentlemen it's alright you You're can welcome. find us Dave, you tell them where they can find us on Twitter. They can find us by going to at DanielStory85, who will at some point on his timeline have retweeted us, and you'll be able to find the handle there, because I can never remember it. (laughs) Chris, tell us where they can find us on Facebook. Just for Football Fives podcast. Uh, Ryan, tell them what the email address is. Show at footballfivespodcast.com Good. Goodbye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.